Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, to Girl Taku today will be about trope defying anime. I know that it's a thing in our podcast to sort of make a case for tropes and the fact that it's not so much that tropes are bad, but it's about how you utilize them. Uh, and sometimes you utilize them successfully and other times you don't. However, that being said, it still is really nice to be caught off guard sometimes and to watch an anime that just sort of defies the tropes of what you were expecting from the story. And because of that, today we are going to highlight the anime we think that defies the tropes that we were expecting from the story when we were watching in a way that was really exciting, fun, or even, you know, intriguing in that case. Without, or I guess I already said without further ado, so in that case, I'm going to go ahead and pass the baton to you, Isabel. Um, you know, which anime have you seen that has defied your expectations, defied the tropes that you were expecting from that series, from the stories, from the characters? And, you know, uh, did you like it? And what did you like about it? Yeah, so the first one I want to talk about is actually one that's airing from this season, uh, it's called The World's Finest Assassin Gets Reincarnated. Oh, okay. <laughs> Super long title, but yeah. Have either of you guys, you know, checked that out or do you know what it's about? I watched it the first couple episodes, yeah. Oh, okay. And what about you, Gracie? You watched yes. it too? Uh, yeah, I, I actually follow it every week, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So maybe you can speak more about it because I've, I'm like in the same boat of Agnes where I kind of only have watched the first few episodes um so i haven't gotten too far into it but yeah i thought this was an interesting type of isekai where the main character is not some type of like gaming pro or anything like that or a gamer or anything um of the sort he's you know he's basically a legendary assassin and he gets killed because i guess like his he gets uh he wants to get revenge against the people that killed him he was basically supposed to retire but yeah, so circumstances are different, and then he's put into another world. And I feel like that's so different from other isekais I've seen, where um, usually the characters aren't some type of legendary type of character. They're kind of like someone like us or someone like a nobody, and they just get a second chance at life, right? So I feel like in this main character's case, he's, he gets another chance, even though he didn't really need it. He just has that feeling of, oh, I wish it would have gone differently, or maybe he would have been he would have had that chance to actually retire and live out a life um, where he wasn't like so focused in the assassin world. I feel like that's the first part. The other part is kind of more superficial, the fact that usually isekai means a harem. And they're, the girls, I feel like in this show, are actually pretty capable and they're pretty kick-ass. <laughs> the the bar is low, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of the first comment I made with Gracie about this show. I don't think I shared it with you, Isabel. Mm -hmm. But Gracie and I were swapping our reactions of, I think, the first episode when the girls show up at the auction house yeah, to yeah, yeah. defeat, like, whatever villain that they were supposed to defeat. And, well, we were just like, well, at least the girls are capable, right? And I, mm -hmm. I think I followed up with a comment saying, well, at least she has, like, uh, aesthetically looking panties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we had this whole discussion of how... There's, uh, there's a bit of fan service at the beginning because of when they were taking out their weapons and stuff like that. But I said that strangely. I didn't mind the fan service because in a way, like the placement of their weapons actually made sense to me. And even like the quote unquote camera, obviously anime doesn't have a real life camera, but the quote unquote camera didn't linger on it once they took out the weapons. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like a brief moment of where it has to because you know that's where their weapons are and so I was like you know what I am okay with that and then Agnes was pointing out how hey at least the panties actually look like stuff that girls would want to wear <laughs> so yeah it's the colors are very pleasing it's not like the very typical anime response to panties is like white or striped and there's like no in between but these ones like have lace and they have color and I'm like that looks nice. Probably one of the strangest <laughs> conversations we've had, which is fantastic. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, but you make a good point because a lot of anime girls, when they pull out weapons, 
it's usually a lot of folk, like especially like Strike the Blood has a lot of like folk hyper focus on like the legs, the crotch area, and like the boobs are very stereotypically the most outrageous one I've seen is weapons pulling out from the cleavage. Oh gosh, <laughs> which oh, is yeah. a total mm-hmm. fan service. And I'm like, do you know how heavy it is to like wear boobs and then <laughs> to wear boobs to have boobs and then you're holding something inside? I mean, of in them? a way, we kind of are wearing them. You know, <laughs> it's attached it to our yeah. chest and it gives people back pain. <laughs> So, yeah, exactly. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, no, that was definitely um and you're right, like another fan service thing is, you know, like after they take out the weapon, the camera would purposefully like angle and linger on it a little longer and you know the purpose of that is just to show off the fan servers and it's like the fact that the girls like have taken out a weapon to fight is sort of a byproduct like it's not even really thought of anymore so that was uh that was that was a surprise for me was yes they flashed it briefly when they took out the weapons but then once they got the weapons out like the scene the focus of it was gone and it's on the girls fighting and stuff and so i was like Oh, okay, okay. I can take this fan service. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, it's tasteful. It's tasteful. <laughs> Chef's kiss. But yes, you were saying, Isabella, the girls seem competent, <laughs> if nothing else, which, you know, how low is the bar, guys? <laughs> yeah, it definitely shows that. I guess I've been tainted with too many shows where I don't expect the girl to do anything or they're just there and I don't expect them to have any special powers or be able to train as much as the male character does. So to see someone like uh, Tart, for example, you know, kind of trained from a nobody to having her become kind of like assassin's assistant and all. Um, and then not only that, like having her choice of her weapon as well and not just like being honed into on using an, an assassin weapon, stuff like that. I feel like that is just so different. So I'm strung along with this show thinking what's gonna happen next like how is how are these girls actually gonna help him and i'm also waiting for that that turnaround where the fan service turns into actual fan service where it's like where the show's focused on that which i Mm. usually see in some other shows um Mm. yeah like k for example i can't the first season was so great and then the second season they decided to focus more on fan service and i'm like why does that happen i just want to see girls fight um yeah. Wait, which anime? Okay, oh, Project, sorry. Oh, I see. <laughs> I guess it was fan service in the beginning, but then it's more fan service in the second season. I'm like, this, it was, this it is was. just overdoing it. E- mm-hmm. Poor you, having to struggle through that. I guess, are you sort of like waiting in doomness? Is that a word? That's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you sort of just waiting to like... Are, like like to see if it ever does shift to just fan service or are you holding out hope that it might not shift yeah i'm holding out hope i feel like in the back of my head i have this this impending sense of doom where i'm gonna be like this this is not the show for me anymore because it has turned into this um but until that happens i will probably be watching more of it just to see what exactly will happen and i haven't gotten to the part where he's encountered the hero yet so i'm kind of curious as to what the villain or the hero in the sense will look like as well because usually i feel like the villains really might be really bad or have really bad very terrible intentions that don't make sense sometimes mm-hmm. yeah so i won't give anything away for the future seasons uh, or future seasons the future episodes uh since i know you're still watching but that was also one of the things that made me interested was the fact that he was reincarnated to kill a hero you know instead of helping the hero and and stuff and i think you're right in the fact that a lot of these guys well i mean we've had so many bland and mediocre and sometimes downright bad isekai anime as a whole but mm-hmm. a lot of the isekai like the antagonists are antagonists in the fact that they're just cruel and terrible and malicious and that's all there is to it and so i was also definitely intrigued when it was like no no no, he's not reincarnated to defeat whatever bad guys there are he's specifically reincarnated to defeat a good person who actually does help and save the world but eventually like loses uh, loses himself or herself we don't know because uh the goddess never said they're the gender of the hero and so and so it's just like, I, I like that aspect a lot. And it sets up for good drama because in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, the hero better be a really great 
person, like a really nice, good person that you want to root for, because then that just throws in a whole mixed bag of drama and like stuff to explore. And I and I really, really like that fact. And so I totally get what you were saying about, you know, the whole the whole idea of like him being here to like the antagonist ultimately actually being a hero rather than you know, all the other usual bad guys we tend to get in these anime. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if the hero, if the hero ends up turn- becoming the demon lord. Ooh, that's a good point, one. <laughs> yeah, because at this point, the demon lord hasn't been vanquished yet, and the hero has not been born yet, or at least hasn't shown up in the series. So I have a feeling that something corrupts the hero, which is why the goddess asks us to assassinate him in the first place. Kind of like a prevention tactic from it happening. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that makes sense. That that would be really fun and interesting. Oh, also fun tidbit. This is probably a minor spoiler for you, Isabel. It it, it won't affect the story or your uh your enjoyment of it, I promise. Oh, but funny. essentially, uh another little twist like that's uh, that's kind of like unexpected uh, trope defying is that it was it's later revealed that the goddesses is basically reincarnating a crap ton of people from Earth to hope that one of the many hundreds of them that she's reincarnated will ultimately be good enough to defeat the hero. And so that was a twist I really, really like. That's kind of played for more comedic measures because you just get to see her check in and be like, okay, how's this person I reincarnated? How are they doing and checking to see if they're okay and stuff like that? And she's sort of like just reincarnating whoever might stick to the wall at this point. Like the one of the last ones we found out was she reincarnated this paparazzi (laughs) and so she's like hoping the paparazzi would like cause a scandal for the hero where Mm -hmm. then she's desperate the goddess is yeah like she's just desperate at this point and that was like a really comedic but unexpected thing to show up in regards to the sekai was like actually he's not really that special because she's just reincarnating anyone she can get at this point to see if it works and so i thought that was just a little funny fun twist as well in the series uh but yeah so i think this is a good one for you to pick and i think a lot of people uh, part of the appeal for a lot of people was seeing an older man a really badass, good-looking Oji song um, getting reincarnated <laughs> into um, in a Sekai, which is not a protagonist we usually see for sure. So, if that's your first pick, then what do you have for your second pick then for another trope-defying anime? Yeah, I feel like the second one I picked is slightly similar. Um, the second show I wanted to talk about is Grimgar of Fantasy and Ash. Yeah, okay. Grimgar. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I feel like we might have talked about Grimgar on our podcast before, I can't really remember, but I also think it's trope-defying in the sense that sort of a isekai, but not really. I would place it more in a fantasy, but after watching the show, you kind of realize it's an isekai, because the people there, the characters you meet there in this fantasy world, they actually aren't from it, and we only get tidbits of it, and they ask questions. Such as, you know, I heard of a cell phone before, but I don't know what that is. So they're like, their memory is completely wiped when they're in, in, in the world of Grimgar. And I found that to be interesting because that slowly pops up throughout the series. You don't really notice it until later that, oh, this isn't actually, you know, a true fantasy. And the other bigger aspect of the show is just the struggles that the characters go through to basically level up from level one to level two and figure out how a shop works and stuff like that because i feel like most characters in other shows they might know how to utilize a shop or how to kill a goblin how to use a weapon for example or all of that stuff is actually skipped in other shows right so they they don't know how to defeat a goblin and then they don't know how to use a bow for example so you see all those struggles in grimgar and also the, and then that also kind of contributes to the pace. I feel like this, the pace of the story is so much slower than other shows as well. Um, but yeah, that's what I think. And I know you guys have watched it too, right? I loved Grimgar. So good. I think I wrote an article for it. You did <laughs> when, we, when we did the when we did the book release with Grimgar. Yes, I, I remember that it. now. It was good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was. I I definitely agree with your choices, Bill. It's a good choice. Grimgar presents a very more realistic view of what would happen if people got isekai'd, instead mm-hmm. of having all this gaming knowledge or like, oh, I can predict the storyline kind of move, like in uh, the villainess, where she can sort of predict oh. where the story goes because she plays the game. But people here in Grimgar, they literally have no idea what they're doing. They don't know what they're fighting for, and they all they're just doing is surviving. Another, the scene that really stood out to me in Grimgar is also the scene where they first killed the goblin for the first time, but it's so grounded in reality with how much of a struggle it was for all of them to do it, especially when they actually did win in the sense that they completely surrounded and cornered the goblin, but no one was willing to make that final move. Like, everyone was yeah. scared mm-hmm. because, you know, and I, I wrote about it in a recent article, too, not to do with this particular episode, but killing another being is terrifying. Like, you know, I, I've said it before, but we get shaken if we accidentally, you know, hit a squirrel when we're driving a car. And that is not even like a purposefully going after an animal situation. That was an animal ran out and you didn't expect it and you accidentally hit it and you might have potentially killed it. And that really freaks people out. And so the fact that you have to like sort of that they have to go after and genuinely kill that goblin, it showed so well like how difficult of a thing it is. And the person who ultimately finally did kill the goblin, he has always been more aggressive and more sort of violent, I would say, in the group. But even for him afterwards, he sort of like had to take a break and walk away from the group and just sort of regroup mentally and emotionally because it still isn't easy even as someone who's more likely to throw the first punch. And so... And I do think that scene stood out to me and is like a comparison I would compare it to is in Jobless Reincarnation, the uh, protagonist there is also really scared of hurting and killing people. And the first few times he saw someone die before him, he threw up and he was really disgusted, which I do think makes complete sense. But I did still like Grimgar's scene better. And the reason why for that is... Even if it was terrifying for uh, the main for Rudius and Jawless reincarnation to kill someone, and you know, also very disgusting, a disgusting thing because you know, killing anything can be really scary to look at with the corpse in the body. He could still do it easily in the fact that he's so powerful as a mage now that like he can one shoot, uh, one shot people if he wants to, even if he chooses not to. Versus in Grimgar, it's an actual struggle of trying to keep the goblin in place and trying to make him not fight back and not get caught in the crossfire because you don't have the experience of wielding the weapons and and like wielding yourself to do something like this and so that scene in particular uh, was just such a standout and that's the part that like subverts so many things in regards to tropes that works in a beautiful chef's kiss way so yeah (laughs) yeah i agree with that like even though it was like painfully slow like i i you know, in the middle of the episodes, I thought, maybe I should drop this. This is taking too long. Why am I watching them, you know, trying to kill this one goblin? They're, like, struggling. But I think there's just a charm about it that you, if you put yourself in, you know, their shoes, the character's shoes, you'll think, this is probably how I would end up trying to kill a goblin my first try or something like that. Right. Or learning how to work with the other characters as well, trying to figure out who can be the mage-type character and help us out in this situation, corner the goblin and stuff like that. Um... So yeah, I just feel like it's a special charm. It's also very pretty. I've never really seen a show with the watercolor type um, yeah. backgrounds and stuff, so I quite like that as well. Yeah, no, the the aesthetics of the anime was really pretty for sure. Uh, yeah, so those are two great choices for trope-defying anime. I actually agree with you on both of them, and thankfully I have watched both of them. So So I know exactly what you are talking about. So, Agnes, what about you? What are two anime that you've seen that just sort of subverted your expectations and defied the tropes that you were expecting to see in the story? Uh, so the first one is going off of uh, Isabel's vein of choice of isekai. Mine would be, I almost actually picked uh, the first assassin, oh, but okay. I decided not to because I have not watched it in its entirety yet. So um, hearing it from Gracie that it's good 
as the story progresses, makes me want to go watch it. But the series that I want to highlight is Saga of Tanya the Evil. Oh. Because it's so atypical. It is so atypical of an isekai. You start off with a character who's you kind of hate at the beginning. He's this smug guy in the middle of management tier at a company, and he's an asshole. He's an absolute asshole. You feel no sympathy for him when he's kicked off the edge of the railroad station, becomes isekai into a magical kind of World War One, World War Two battlefront, and reincarnated as a young, as a small girl. And while you're watching it, you're thinking like, oh my god, this is going to have some really weird elements because he basically got reincarnated as a lolicon. He might, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> go after people. Yeah. But really, he does not give it. His, his only desire, his only ideal is to live very comfortably in the back lines without having to fight. And yet every single time he does something to achieve that, everyone misinterprets it as him trying to be like a hero for the Empire. And they keep thrusting onto him more and more and more missions. And he's like, I hate this. Please let me go. <laughs> and it, the saga of Tanya the Evil delves so far off from the Isika because it be- evolves from a story that is less about heroism and becomes more of a story about a villain who realizes that the more that he continues to try to achieve for his idealism and dream of living the backseat also inflicts a lot of pain and suffering onto other people and that war never ends and that he can't keep using it as a mechanism for him to just retreat somewhere comfortably. And I feel like that's such a big proponent of what a lot of people used to think when they used to employ when during World War One and World War Two, where they just employ a lot of fodder soldiers in the battlefield and be like, oh, I can sit in the back lines. I don't have to do anything except plan and my life won't be in jeopardy. But the reality is your life is still in jeopardy. So I thought that was like a very interesting moment for uh, for Tanya because it's an isekai. It's not supposed to be serious, but it actually turned pretty serious. I have to say, though, like, I think part of what makes watching that anime so fun is there's also a sense of satisfaction that he deserves it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're watching it and you're just like, yes, yes, it's okay that you failed. I am fine with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, because it, it's like, it's funny, first of all, because, you know, he, he's, uh, his actions, even though he's in a girl's body, he, he still calls himself a he, but uh, his actions are getting interpreted as being heroic and stuff like that, and he gets upset. So there is a, there's a comedy element to it, but at the same time, because you did see, like, what a terrible person, I'm like, yeah, Agnes he makes, isn't exaggerating. He makes terrible, like, he makes terrible black humor jokes too yeah like he terrible oh my god like genuinely he's not the kind of person that you would like in real life at all sort of thing so seeing no how much (laughs) he like suffers in trying to get to what he wants but ultimately the world not letting him get what he wants because of people understandably misinterpreting what he's doing like it's not even like they pulled it out of they pulled it out of thin air in regards to the misunderstandings. It actually makes sense why these characters would misunderstand what he's trying to do. And, and like and basically forcing him back into the cycle more and more again. It's just, yeah, there's just a sense of satisfaction where you're like, you kind of deserve this, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> it's an unintended heroism that ends up being his downfall, which is a very interesting trope twist and the one thing the his black humor jokes are actually so in point that it makes me cringe but also makes me laugh too the moment where he says like where's your visa makes me just laugh out loud so hard considering like it's such a racist comment too (laughs) it suits so well for the tone of the show like i i'm not to say that i am not racist i've had very badly interpreted stereotypical views before while growing up but to hear a show that openly talks about that makes you feel like, oh, wow, this guy's an actual asshole. I better not do what he does. Oh, yeah, like it's a reminder. It's like a self, it's a, it's an actual self-reminder. Like, you know, we can all be assholes, but you can do your best to not be like him at one point. I think the feel of it is also really different. Like, it's very metallic. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
yeah, it's very metallic. It's very cold cut. It's not like a comfy isekai, or it's not like an isekai with just a bunch of girls and boobs that just go up and comfort the hero. No, it's 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 guns and steel. Yeah, because I do think isekai as a whole are still pretty colorful, like just color scheme wise. Not not using yeah. it as an adjective for something, but uh, color scheme wise, isekais tend to be pretty colorful. Um, because of the different worlds and stuff like that. But for Tanya, it's very dull, like very purposefully dull in that metallic yeah. sort of feel. So that was that's also really different in just like aesthetics, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of a lot more military styled animes, um, not so much of 86, but older stuff that I've seen like Jormungan or Black Lagoon, mm. where it feels gritty. Oh, that's there's the right word, greens, yeah. There's a lot of greens, there's a lot of browns, there's a lot of, like, muddled colors, and yeah, it, it feels very realistic. And I guess in a sense it does resemble a bit of 86, at least from the 86 side rather than the Magnolia side. Right, right, yes. And, uh, oh, also, Isabel, have you seen that anime? I actually haven't. So, I've uh, yeah, I haven't seen it. I've seen so much about it, but yeah, I just haven't had the time to go about and watch that, so... Hearing you two discuss that's good. Is there a, a god type character that you know in reincarnated him into this world? I'm just curious. Oh my god, that that, that entire conversation between him and whoever reincarnated him is also hilarious, because the entire time he's basically an atheist. He decries against God and calls them oh. being X, and he's like, "I hate you for reincarnating me." So in the entirety of Tanya Saga, the Evil, he does everything that he can to also go against God's wishes. Like, every single action that he does is supposed to be defying against God. And God's just like, eh, I guess you can do whatever you want, but in the end, you're still going to succumb to me. <laughs> and he, yeah, his like, entire reaction is cute. It's like a really sad, one-sided competition. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really great episode. I think it's near the end of the, of the season where he has that final confrontation with God. And it's God who reincarnates or, like, speaks to... Tanya through the body of a dead man that had just crashed his airplane with him and they just have like this very intense interesting conversation and I'm just like wow this is so much more different compared to an isekai where the goddess usually just appears at the very beginning and then they never appear again yeah they kind of let them loose sort of situation yeah, yeah and you just kind of let them loose <laughs> or they just kind of like ara ara it's okay I'm the mommy milf who just watches over you no this <laughs> god being ex like he is adamant that you will convert to his religion (laughs) and he's also like yeah it's like i said it's like the sad one-sided competition because (laughs) tanya is always trying to go against him but it's exactly like agnes said he's just so powerful that he's like you can try you're not gonna do it and so it's like oh like how bad is your pride like do you need aloe vera because i think you do (laughs) sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why it makes it so entertaining even the movie that comes out of it is very entertaining too. it's very satisfying to watch because at that point uh minor spoilers it is retribution that is paid on tanya for Ooh. the movie i won't spoiler to say like who or what is the retribution but it's basically payback time for the character that was affected by tanya's you know uh, oh. <laughs> it's a very nice twist i really liked it yeah that sounds satisfying to watch for sure Okay, so that is your first pick then, which is a really good one, and it is really unique in that regard. So what is your second pick for uh, the trope-defying anime? <laughs> I have two of them, but I'll start off with the other one. Um, and I think we might have talked about this show before, too. Okay. But mine is Oro Monogatari. Oh, yes, oh, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> because it's such it's such a mind-blowing shoujo when you watch it. You think to yourself, like, oh, the cute girl's going to get together with, like, the handsome Ikemen guy or whatever. But it's literally the purest, most bara man that exists in the plane of shoujo. And she's just like, I just want to hold hands with him. And it's so stupid, yeah. cute, and shoujo. But it's so different because of the reactions of how her friends see Takeo versus Takeo's friends seeing him. And it's such a nice, like, supportive group, I guess. It's a very supporting anime. Um, I had friends who watched it. There's a 
there's a couple that I know in real life who's kind of like that. You know, one of the girls is really short. She's kind of cute. And then the other guy's like, yeah, in our last podcast, I asked you if you could convince them to cosplay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did not convince them. I think they're a little bit too shy. But yeah, the other guy, we we sometimes tease him and call him the ape because he's a little bit hairy. Um, but overall, they're like super cute and they're super sweet. And they watch this show and they're just like, oh my God, it's, it's us. And I'm like, yes, you guys. <laughs> they're very, it's very wholesome or, um, and it's very realistic too. I feel that love comes in all shapes and colors and that it's not predefined by society. No, it's crazy that, like, you know, usually Takeo's looks might have people would just turn away from him and not think about that or maybe even do a double take seeing him with her really because Mm -hmm. they think that is not typical and i guess that shows that also comes off to the audiences this is not a typical shoujo type vibe really yeah exactly Mm -hmm. i mean the pretty boy is his friend which we all want to focus on but really it's (laughs) (laughs) i have a feeling suna's ace at this point (laughs) i also suspect that too honestly because he really just doesn't show interest in anyone is aside from his platonic relationship you know with golda so yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe we'll feature him as a potential for our pride month uh featuring anime characters from the, the yes, community so when pride month comes around we shall do that for sure yeah i what i was gonna say is i'm actually kind of ashamed to admit that at one point i wasn't going to watch ore monogatari or my love story because because I realized that Golda was the main character and not uh, Suna, because I can be shallow like that as well. <laughs> and so and so it was sort of like a nice backhand to me to be like, you can't just judge people like that for these sort of things. And I'm actually really glad that the anime decided to genuinely put such a spotlight on a conventionally un- a conventionally not pretty guy or not good looking guy to be a romantic lo- a love interest and actually be like hey look he's an absolute catch like he's great he's good to his girlfriend he's sweet he's considerate and stuff and so to um to completely just write him off is also very mean as soon as a su- su- uh, as his best friend <laughs> I can't talk suddenly but as his best friend um, essentially calls out a lot of the girls for so that that was like a little bit like a personal tidbit of the anime per se like subverting stuff and in a good way that also taught me something as well yeah absolutely and I'm really glad that the show does it very early on too that it's a point of conflict when the couple meets her friends and it's a it's nice to see like the teens get them like well deserved like their judgment and their prejudice gets called out upon people who truly see the good in Takeo and it's not something that persists through the rest of the storyline and there's a big like conflict that happens at the end of it where you know it's very um i would say drama- dramatized of like the whole fire burning the whole fire burning the building and the Takeo rushes in to save them um, but it's really nice that they that anime is not afraid to portray something like that. And I wish they would do it a lot more for other shows rather than kind of keep it shallow or kind of shove it under the rug being like, I'll be your best friend, I guess. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. So you said you had another one in line as well? Yeah, this one's kind of a silly one that I discovered earlier this year. Uh, I was on Crunchyroll, I was kind of, you know, scrolling through shows, and I saw one called Psychic Princess, which is a Chinese animation so- show. And I thought to myself, like, okay, this is a very typical um, romance kind of flick with uh, characters who are set in a chinese X setting. And it was, like, really absurd sh- in the first like three episodes it flies by so fast there are so many tropes of you know the girl attracting the harem so to speak of different guys but what's really interesting is that psychic the the main character for psychic princess is kind of like yona of the dawn where she is kind of like brassy i guess afterwards like she's very strong um she is a psychic medium so she can converse to ghosts and she received a lot of training while she was living secluded in the mountains and as a result, she becomes a girl who's actually unique rather than a plain Jane who somehow attracts the attention of all the men around her. And then as you continue watching Psychic Princess, you realize like, oh, there's actually a political plot involved. Oh, <laughs> it gets really, really interesting. interesting. <laughs> and it starts and it and it there is like 
a romantic tension between her and the main guy who eventually becomes her love interest. But there is a political part that takes a bigger focus and threatens the safety of her family, who is, uh, who her family is actually against the emperor of China and is actually allying themselves with barbarians that live on the fringes. Wait, so wait, wait, wait. Really this is a Chinese animation anime? It is. It is. They're they're allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're allowed. Yeah, they're allowed to do that. It's okay. It's you. You will f- watch if you watch the opening. It is so absurd that you will never touch it again. But probably after six episodes in, you're like, I think I kind of vibe with the show, and I don't know how to explain that it. That is fascinating. <laughs> you should watch it, Gracie. Watch it on your down. Watch. I would say since both of you are Chinese, right, or Chinese yeah. descent, mm-hmm. I think you two, because I showed it also to my other Chinese friend, and she really liked it. And I think for you two, there's going to be a lot of callbacks to the Chinese culture and very interesting things that you will find nowhere else that is in Japanese animation. It will hit a different, it will hit differently. Yeah, I think it would hit differently. Yeah, I'm like pretty interested now to like really try it out. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I was gonna say like I'm like I wonder if it's just like a hidden gem like Link. Um, it is. What was it called, Isabel? You watched it, Link Click or something like that. Link That's Click. a Chinese yeah. animation. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like Link Click is a little more typical than like something having like a political plot beneath it and stuff like that. Mm, um, I see. And Click Link is also related to the artist who has a lot of popularity already before the animation came out too. Right, like before um, you mentioned this show, Agnes, I had totally not heard of it, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Versus like when you see Link Click's visuals, you know which artist they're talking about. Like you've seen oh, a lot I see of their stuff saying. either like on Tumblr mm-hmm. or Twitter. So I feel like it's popular enough that most people know it at least by a visual association, nobody knows Psychic Princess. You look at Psychic Princess and you're like, that's a stereotypical shoujo plot I don't want to touch. Okay, well, it, I clearly like, need oh. to feature it in our tweet in the screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> you should. I will... You. I, good luck getting through the opening. It'll take a while. Okay. But you will get through the opening. <laughs> that's my only warning. <laughs> don't drop it, though, please. It's so stupidly funny. <laughs> okay, got it. Well, that was really cool and unexpected. I definitely wasn't expecting you to pull in a Chinese animation project into this, but it is good to know. And the whole point of our episodes is to talk about anime that potentially none of us might have heard about. So that's definitely on the list now. <laughs> so for sure, for sure. I guess it is now. I guess. No, it is my turn. <laughs> There's only three of us here. Uh, Jack is not here today. He is with us in spirit. I, he's still alive, guys. I'm sorry if I made it sound like <laughs> he's alive guys he's alive and fine so essentially uh my first pick is actually uh one that i think is um i'm not sure if you've seen it isabel but i do know for a fact that agnes has seen it it is jujutsu kaisen Mm. yes okay cool okay so jujutsu kaisen does follow a lot of the shonen anime uh you know footsteps per se but then it doesn't follow them in a lot of ways. I was just really appealing. And I'm just going to start off by not even talking about the story, but about like the character design. The character designs themselves were really interesting to me because Yuji is the one with pink hair. And I don't know about you, but I have never seen a pink haired male protagonist in a shonen anime like that's always reserved for the fury sort of you know female character but instead <laughs> yeah like the fury or but or the sweet cutesy uh you know female character but regardless pink is associated with female characters all the time and just the fact that yuji himself has that pink hair just stood out to me immediately but then there are other stuff in there about the character design that i just find really fascinating for example um, the boys are the ones who are much prettier and drawn in a like attractive, you know, like essentially attractive way. Megumi has these gorgeously long eyelashes that everyone has noticed that is very purposefully in there. And then Gojo's uh, is the one that's drawn with that almost shoujo-esque like blue eyes, you know, that are reserved for like the big guy girls in shoujo and shoujo stories. And so and it's the fact that like the guys are drawn so prettily on purpose with you know emphasis on parts of their bodies that normally people don't really you know 
put an emphasis on in boy character designs. I just thought that stood out to me so much. And then I also liked the girls' designs and how they have varying body shapes, that, which is something I really appreciate. Like, Maki, like, she looks strong. Like, she has broad shoulders, and she looks physically fit like right right from the get-go and I also like how the girls um in a shonen in a shonen uh manga slash anime adaptation they have actual costumes they have different styles of clothing and different styles of how they do their hair and some of them wear makeup and others others of them don't wear makeup and it's and it immediately shows sort of their personality as well in regards to what they care about what they don't care about so just the character design itself was already just a pleasant surprise for me but then the story starts and then there's just a lot of stuff in the story i think that just I just don't see it usually in shonen anime adaptations. Like one of the first things I think of is the way that they fight. I don't know if you two noticed this yet, but there is very little like evil monologuing, you know, happening in the fights. Like the the bad guys don't really have a chance to sort of like go about their ideals or their ultimate plan or whatever, whatever. Like it's like they're here, and then um, especially the one fight between Mahito and Nanami and uh and Itadori like Nanami and Itadori were just non-stop attacking him like not even giving him a chance to even say a single word and anytime that Mahito is able to say anything it's when he's like running away from them and trying to dodge and the two of them aren't even reacting to his wars they're just going after him and so um and so and I think and I I remember seeing a comment too of someone noticing that and being like Jujutsu Kaisen fights are actual street fights where there's no words and it's just punches <laughs> being thrown because you don't have time for words to be thrown. And the only character that really like that really throws words and sort of likes to um, do monologues is Gojo, which makes sense because he's so utterly overpowered that he would be the only one who can be like, hey, I can do all bits of monologuing just to like be a pain in the butt for you. And because I know I'm basically the strongest and invincible at this point. And so like and so it even makes sense to the characters. And so that was another element I like. And of course, it goes without saying that Jujutsu Kaisen's uh, cast of female characters is absolutely incredible. Chef's kiss, man. Chef's kiss. Every single one of them are so powerful and have their distinct personalities and exist for their own missions and their own life goals. Whether it's the sisters who have a complicated relationship, whether it's Nobara who came to the city because she was sick of the countryside and their small, like small-minded attitude. And they're one of the fights that always like stood close, like that has a big impact on me. As in, like it was really important was when Momo, the girl that's that has like the witch broom and the blonde hair, when Momo and Nobara were fighting each other in like that school versus competition sort of thing, and Momo doesn't like Nobara because Nobara acts aggressive. She is, you know, uh, she speaks her mind. She's blunt and. In a way, she embodies it embodies a lot of quote unquote male traits, you know, while Momo is like, you know, the way to the only way to be taken seriously as a girl is to lean in as far into the girl traits as possible and manipulate people using that fact. And that's an actual issue that does happen like in real life amongst women. Um, there are groups of women who do not get along because they don't agree in the way that they operate, whether it's, you know, some women who are like, well, if the system exists and I'm going to play to the system's rules to my advantage, which is in Momo's case, you know, being pretty and being cute and thus being able to get taken more seriously because of that versus the other um, group of women like Nobara who are like, I just don't care about the system. Screw the system. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And like, you know, and people are just going to have to deal with this sort of thing. And that's an actual clash that happens amongst women at times. And 
Honestly, it's a it's a difficult multifaceted situation. Nobody is entirely right or wrong, you know, and it, and it's just but they clash because of that. And they and he was able to encapsulate it perfectly with Nobara and Momo's fight that I just absolutely adored it. And so uh, and so it's just like it's just these stuff in from from the character design all the way to like the fight sequences, the um, the female characters, and also how emotionally, like, uh, what's the right way to say it? Not sensitive, but emotionally um, smart, I would say. Like, emotionally smart, a lot of the male characters are as well. They're not dumb. They're not unaware of, you know, unaware of how people feel or don't care how people feel and they have to, like, humble themselves or something like that. Yuji, Itadori, and... Uh, Fushiguro are both boys who care a lot and feel a lot and stuff like that and so um and so that's why I I, Jujutsu Kaisen was just such a surprise for me in regards to a shonen sort of anime and I think defies a lot of the tropes that I usually would expect in these type of stories so yeah I'm curious to hear your thoughts on my opinions in that regard (laughs) Yeah, when you first start off with actually pink hair characters, I was like searching through my shonen list of pink hair characters. I did come up with one, which would be Natsu from Fairy Tale. But oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. It is definitely hard to rock the pink hair if you're not a girl. Uh, and yeah, I just hadn't thought of Jujutsu that way. Jujutsu, when I first watched, I thought this is a combination of everything I wanted in Naruto, Bleach, and maybe other shonen like. Oh, okay. <laughs> all together, this is exactly you're what I tr- wanted. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why so many people were so attracted to Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, and in a similar way also to Demon Slayer too, because mm-hmm. it combines so many different aspects of shonen that we wished had improved. And as time-tested anime has shown, it actually works in form in theory and in application. Uh, so like all the characters that are emotion more emotionally charged comes in, all the female characters that have more badass moments are finally presented in a way that's very non-fan servicey. And their aesthetic looks great in the setting, regardless of what gender they are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and that reminds me of another one with the character design. So uh, scars, you know, people don't really Oh yes, oh, totally. Yep. Yeah. People mm-hmm. don't really like to give scars like that are so on your face and stuff. And I think people like to give scars even less to female characters, but don't forget that Kyoto school teacher has a scar right across her face, and yet she still looks fantastic, you know? And so it's like Udahime looks very nice, even though she's spotlighted so little in the series currently i think she'll make a pretty big role and i think i've seen some pictures of the manga as well there will be more opportunities for people with more facial scars I think. yeah and and i just love the way that it's portrayed that it it really does look beautiful still like it shows the fight they went through and it shows the fact that they are warriors and fighters in their own rights and i i just i just think it's incredible how the scars don't even discriminate you know the guys have it and the girls have it and it's perfectly normal so oh and also a final thing that I, that is a huge like overall trope subversion like not even talking about shonen but just as a whole in stories sukuna is an actual like terrible being because in most stories of the monster within you know how it goes it it turns out the monster within wasn't that terrible but misunderstood and so the host and the monster within get along they team up sort of thing that is not happening (laughs) in Jujutsu Kaisen like Sukuna will do everything to thwart um Itadori's plans like he won't come out until he wants to come out and I think that's like totally different from even greed Oh yeah, 100%. Cuz we yeah. talked about cuz we talked about greed as very redeemable in the last episode, but compared to him, like greed is nothing. Sukuna just sits on his throne and just lets things play out until he wants to come out to play. Yes, exactly. Oh, also fun fact, apparently the author like drew this mini chapter or like this omake thing, uh, a four coma thing where um it turns out Sukuna is really bored. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I don't blame him. And, I don't blame and him. And it's like if something happens and they like are about to come in and see him, he like rushes to his throne and poses to look cool. And that's oh. like a little tip that I think is so funny. So. <laughs> you know, I, I like to think that too, where he's like 
there's a metaphorical TV that he's sitting at. He's just watching some really bad soap opera, <laughs> eating chips and being a lazy slob. Maybe like his robes are in a disarray and he hasn't slept in like weeks. And then all of a sudden, when people enter his domain, he like rushes to the throne, styles his hair and poses. Yes! <laughs> I would also mention that too. I think the final thing that would really just put the cherry on top for me for Jujutsu Kaisen is if uh, Fushiguro ends up being bisexual. And I'm not just saying this just to throw it out there, but the language was very purposeful. And by the way, the Crunchyroll subs were actually inaccurate. Like people who are fluent in Japanese said that the subs are inaccurate to the Japanese dialogue being said. But essentially when Total asked like, you know, which girl's your type, but then it's like, or if it's a guy, it's fine. Um, in the in the Crunchyroll subs, they said that, you know, as long as she and gave a pronoun, but in the actual manga and the Japanese dialogue spoken by Uchida Yuma, very specifically said a person and very Ooh. purposefully did not assign a gender. And I, I do also know for a fact that um, apparently the or in an interview, the mangaka has spoken that uh, he read a BL psychological thriller uh, uh, manga before that actually had a big influence in him writing style wise in regards to how to create suspense and how to create mystery. And so, you know, if he has openly and quite un like, you know, fearlessly said that, you know, he's read these BL manga that has an effect on him. I think it would be really cool if it ends up being a case of, yeah, Fushiguro is bisexual and with, especially with like the hint of the dialogue, very purposefully not prescribing a gender to Fushiguro's type, I think would just really put the cherry on top in regards to subverting expectations for a shonen story. So yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also to add to that, he has like a very extended relationship with, uh, with Itadori too. Yes. That I feel like kind of subtly hints that as well. I'm just mainly looking at the amount of screen time he spends with him, um, especially in the the midway of the season where Itadori finally like falls dead. Mm -hmm, yeah, and he is the only one that's able to confront Sukuna, and then even a bit afterwards too. But it's it's been a, it's I I kind of binge watched it with my friends, so maybe I'm a bit unclear on the details. No, 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 you got it. Like that's definitely correct, and so that's why I feel like if. And it's fine if it ends up just being like a, you know, hinted queer coded situation. Um, but I, I just hope or think that it really would just put the cherry on top if it ends up being an explicit like, no, Fushiguro is a bisexual character situation. And you know what? Great representation. Probably one of the most popular like stories happening in the in otaku fandom right now you know and so and certainly the mangaka has already proven himself to be subver subversive in a lot of ways from his talking about how why he didn't put in fan service and now like actually being glad he didn't put in fan service because it gives him more panels to write the stories from how he's talked about you know getting getting mistaken to be a female mangaka instead of a guy just because of how well written his female characters are and you know openly speaking about how a BL manga actually inspired him for his story and stuff like that you know I feel like it would it's something within his power to do so and I really hope he does but that is ultimately up to his choice because he is the author of the series so that's my first pick my second pick is uh, one that you guys have probably heard me talk about, but I don't think any of you two have seen it. It's called Bottom Tier Character Tomozaki. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I heard you talk about it before, okay. but not yeah, on this channel. I haven't seen okay. it either. Okay, so this anime is great. The story genuinely is, is great in a way that I never expected it to be. So it starts off with me fairly concerned because... We have Tomozaki, who is the main character, who is a gamer and a quote-unquote loser that has no friends and thinks the world is against him and that, you know, he's sort of disadvantaged because he doesn't have social skills and stuff like that. And he finds out that, like, one of his rivals in, like, the games that he plays that always gets second to him is actually the most pop one of the most popular girls in his class. And, um, and she basically was like... I will improve you and I will give you a makeover and I will teach you how to navigate life sort of thing. I was just like, oh, no, we got a manic pixie dream girl situation who's willing to do everything she can for the guy and make sure he 
succeeds in life and la 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 and lo and behold i am so entirely wrong in the best ways because here is the most surprising thing about bottom tier character tomazaki hinami who is the girl who i was worried about being a manic, manic pixie dream girl is literally the least likable female character of the entire cast which you know is unheard of for many manic pixie uh, dream girls and she is not in any shape or form a manic pixie dream girl she has issues and the anime shows it and it actually ends up uh, causing problems between her and tomozaki's friendship which also another thing yes the main leads are not in any shape or form romantically interested in each other. They are completely and utterly platonic. And to, and I did actually end up reading ahead for the light novel series. To this date of the light novel series is still completely platonic between the two of them. Which, you know, is, in my opinion, almost completely unheard of. And so. It's very rare. Yeah, for sure. I would have thought it's going to be like the gamer girl falls in love with the gamer guy kind of situation. Right. And kind of gives off that e-girl vibe. But the reality that she just remains platonic friends with him and the story still continues is quite nice. It's a very different change. Yeah. Um, especially as somebody who starts gaming more frequently. How do you also feel about that, Isabel? Because you're also, I believe, a gamer too. Yeah, I would think that he would fall in love with her, even if he's not. she's not the manic pixie uh, dream girl that you're talking about. Like, there should be some type of romance in there, but the fact that there, there isn't and maybe the fact that they have to work on issues together or it sounds like she's not the perfect character to even be in the position to be helping him out. Is that right? Mm. So that's, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. So that's the best part of this because this anime can could have fallen into so many trap holes. And I do sincerely mean it when I said like trap holes because this anime ends up being sort of like a self-help anime where they are teaching people who might feel like they are sort of disadvantaged and that the world is against them and that they can't make any friends because everyone are quote-unquote normies and you're the only one that's unique and special and misunderstood, that that's not the case and you can improve yourself. And But improvement comes with potential costs. And one of the costs that I always thought about um, that I don't think a lot of anime like to cover is sometimes you overcorrect yourself. You improve yourself to the point that you start down talking yourself and you start thinking whatever you do is never enough and you start wearing yourself out. And that was actually an entire arc in the series for another character, a girl who is actually quite popular, um, who struggles with that, you know, a bit of an imposter syndrome, you know, and like and that was something that she had to learn was. If it comes at the, if you're always trying to improve, that improvement is coming at the cost of your own mental health at this point. Like, you're not improving anymore. You're backpedaling in a different direction, in a different flavor, and you have to sort of like reground yourself and find yourself again. And so, basically, Hinami does make good points for Tomozaki. Like, the smaller points she makes for him are genuinely really good, including stuff like just correcting your posture you know like sitting up straight more and practicing how to smile in the mirror and practicing how to talk to people how to greet to people and you know doing your hair in the morning and just physically looking better can make you feel better about yourself and that was a thing that Tomozaki himself agreed with because after she gives him a makeover he starts you know taking care of his appearances his clothes his hair um the way he looks and he says like he himself admits like he can't believe that like several months ago when he looks he looks at himself in the mirror that he hated what he saw but you know now when he looks at himself in the mirror he sees a guy that he's totally okay with that he doesn't hate anymore and so and and you know a lot of people like to um some or I guess not a lot of people some people like to trash at the fact that makeovers seem very sexist per se but I would like to provide another point of view which is you know if you do have a makeover and you dress yourself up and you look in the mirror and you feel good that's actually really confidence boosting if nothing else and so um and so that's like so those are the parts that Hinami does a good job of helping Tomozaki with the issue that she runs into and the part where he clashes with her actually when he gains his own confidence 
and he has a better footing of like, you know, his friends and who he is as a person is that she has this mentality of winners and losers where uh, winners in life can basically get along with everyone, can navigate any sort of social situation. And because of that, she's kind of fake in the fact that she's manipulative and she changes her personality based on whoever she's talking to and never really being herself and never really trying to define who she herself is versus Tomozaki, who was like, I feel like that's really fake. And by that extension, wouldn't the friends you make also not be a real friendship in that case because you're not really being yourself? And the anime explores that too, where um, his actual love interest is another girl who's not involved with their friend group, but he went on a date with her where he sort of was following like Hinami's footsteps on like, here's how you start conversations and here are the things you should ask and here are the things you should say. And the date actually felt stilted because of that. Versus he later goes on another date with her that he um, that he initiated and asked uh, Fu- Fuka's her name, but he uh, or oh shoot was it Fuka? Yeah, it's the Fuka's her name. But like he asked Fuka on is that, and he said like you know sometimes conversations got awkward and you know and like topics kind of went weird and stuff like that. But you could tell that it feels a lot more authentic the date, and so and there's a medium in regards to you know, gaining confidence and becoming the best version of yourself versus just being a perfect person that everyone likes, but not being true to who you are. It's I just think that it's incredible that the story actually goes into that depth and nuance of, you know, you know, uh, self-improvement and the dangers of self-improvement and also the good things of self-improvement and how all the characters, including the girl at the beginning who looked like the manic pixie dream girl actually all have their flaws and their own stuff that they need to work on so yeah that is my pitch (laughs) bottom tier character tomozaki hopefully did i win you guys over on what i'm saying like just is what i'm saying like making sense in regards to like the story and stuff like that I like already the fact that all the characters are pointing out each other's flaws, which makes great drama. So I'm down for it. <laughs> and does yeah, that answer your question, uh, Isabel? Oh, yeah, it definitely does. I I was glad you went over that. And it's great to hear that, you know, it comes... The anime looks at it from all angles and all the different characters as well. So it'll definitely be on my list for watching. But yeah, thanks Yay. for that. All right. Well, then that concludes our uh, trope-defying anime. Uh, Hopefully you guys have found some new anime to explore. Certainly I have with Psychic Princess. um, And now it is time to figure out what the heck happened to Agnes in France because she was in a pretty bad situation the last time we heard because she seemed to have stumbled upon some really sketchy people in robes. So uh, what's going on, Agnes? What happened? You know, how did you escape? Because you're obviously here so (laughs) (laughs) or am i here Hmm, maybe it's my ghost um so the the rogue men that were looking at me they start saying in latin something that is very strange like i don't understand it my basic knowledge of latin words escapes me at that point but i feel like my something is sapping my energy out of me like something is siphoning siphoning my 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 energy, my source, into this uh, this creepy altar that they have in the middle of the catacombs of Paris, which does not spell good news at all. And my knees are shaking. I'm starting to buckle. And then I realize that um, that I am actually weakening. They are actually trying to take my <gasps> life force away from me. And then all of a sudden, there's a there's a there's a shout that says that I somehow understand. I shield your eyes, and there's a flash of a bu- of something that goes off. Uh, it, I think it might have been a flash bomb or something. Oh. And I couldn't really see because it was like a blinding light in the middle of this cavern that is super duper dark. And as this flash bomb goes off, something, someone grabs my hand and yanks me towards an unknown corridor that I hadn't spotted earlier. And we are just sprinting down the end of it. And we turn the corner and then all of a sudden I see a dead end and I'm like, oh shit, this is where I'm going to die. But out of that dead end is a tiny little hole, probably like hidden between some shelves of skulls and dead skeletons in the catacombs, that he manages to shove me inside and we're just crawling through that small hole until we pop out of the other side and we stay silent for several moments. Our hearts like probably racing at that point as we hear footfalls and distant shouts from people from the other side of the tunnel, but ultimately they never find the hole. 
and then they and then after realizing they come to dead end they they shout something back and then they disappear they the pattering of footsteps start to go the other way and then there's silence once more um the tunnel lights that we are in currently are lit up with some fire um in the by some torches up on the along the walls and he and the the person who saved me is wearing a, a half mask kind of like the phantom of the opera and actually i would make that accurate observation because i did go see phantom of the opera <laughs> on Broadway, so i can attest that it looks very similar to that and I am like, who is this stranger? And I'm about to punch him, right? Because <laughs> I'm just like, get the hell away from me, man. Um, but then he starts speaking something in French with his hands held up. I realize that's the hands of surrender. Like, wait, please let me talk. But I couldn't understand him. And then realizing that I didn't speak French, he switched to a very heavily accented English that asked me if I could understand him. And then I'm just like, oh my God. Uh, yes, I can understand you. And then I start demanding him. I was like, okay, what the hell is happening? I don't understand what is going on, why the, those men, those people are trying to take my soul away from me, why you're here to help me. And then he sees, he, he like squints at me and then through the dim dimming of the torchlights, he realizes something. And then he suddenly asks me, are you the destined she-wolf who was sent to save us? And that's where we're going to end because we're out of time. Oh, because that's that's what your tarot card has to do with. I, I don't I, I don't know. You'll have to find out in the next episode of my glorious adventures in France. <laughs> do you, Isabel? Do you like how she escaped one guy and then she runs into another guy? <laughs> I hate that. I hate this development. Honestly, <laughs> I just wanted to be left alone <laughs> in my sweatshop. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for staying with us and listening to us. I hope you guys enjoyed our anime topic as well as staying on the edge of our seats for this continuation of our uh, for our uh, for Agnes's adventures in France. And I hope you will be with us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.